Hi everyone, welcome to Hound Opinions. I'm your host, Bill Mayeroff. Alright, so this was just a fun episode for me to do. I love to shout out animal rescue organizations because they do a ton of amazing work finding homes for animals in need. So that's why my guest this week is Erin Thompson. She's the marketing manager for Tony LaRusse's Animal Rescue Foundation based in Walnut Creek, California. So, if you know me, you know that I'm a big White Sox fan, and while I have my issues with how Tony LaRusse manages the ball club on the field, this is still a pretty cool organization that he founded. On May 7, 1990, the Oakland A's, who were then managed by Tony LaRusso, were playing the Yankees when a stray tortoiseshell cat looking for food or shelter took a wrong turn and suddenly found herself on the playing field. Tony managed to coax the stray cat into the A's dugout. Eventually, he and his wife Elaine, who's a lifelong advocate for animals, found out that there wasn't a shelter that could take her, but they eventually managed to find her a home, and thus, Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation was born. Since 1991, the foundation has found families for more than 46,500 dogs and cats, performed more than 52,000 spay and neuter surgeries to combat overpopulation, and 48 of their rescue dogs have become service dogs for military veterans. Like I said, it's a cool organization, and I'm excited to share their story. All right, thanks for tuning in, and let's get to it. All right, Aaron, thank you for joining me on Hound Opinions. Um, I'm really excited, um, you know, after after all our back and forth, really getting to getting to finally connect and, and talk about this. Um, so before we sort of get into talking about um, Tony LaRusso's An- Animal Rescue Foundation, I um, want to kind of talk, just ask you a little bit about sort of your history with, with animal rescue and how you came to, to be in the position you are now. Yeah, so I have always had a love for animals and um It's something that started very young. Um, I started volunteering at my local animal shelter because I loved dogs, loved cats, rabbits, everything. Um, So naturally I was drawn to working for an animal rescue organization, but that's not how I started my career. Um, So I actually started my career working with nonprofits who help people with disabilities. And I made the transition to working with animals when I started working for a service dog organization. Uh, And so it's, you know, I've always been passionate about helping people, helping animals. And so working for a service dog organization just seemed like a natural fit. I can work with dogs and help people, but I've always volunteered for my local animal shelter wherever I've lived. So animal rescue and animal welfare was always really at the heart of my passion. And so when this opportunity for Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation became available, I jumped at the opportunity because it's such a fabulous organization and they have so many fabulous programs. So not only do I get to help rescue, you know, directly impact hundreds of animals every single year, uh, but also we have a great service dog program that I'm excited to tell you about that. um, uses rescue dogs to work with veterans with PTSD. So I still get that service dog aspect to it, but it's all rescue animals. So it's just very near and dear to my heart what we do at Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation. Very cool. Um, tell, tell me about uh, your pets. Uh, so I have a um, American Staffordshire Terrier, Emmy, oh. who is eight years old now. She was, of course, a rescue, and she actually is the sweetest girl. She is um, helps with 
when we have tours and like, oh. for, for example, recently we had a Girl Scout troop come through our building to learn more about animal rescue. So she got to pose and take treats and show off all her tricks to all the Girl Scouts. She's just oh. loving life now. So she came from a hard place before I got her when she was about a year and a half old, but now she's just loving life. And since COVID started uh, on the side, uh, in addition to my other work at Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation, we've also been, personally, my partner and I have been fostering dogs. So she's been this great mentor dog, helping all these different foster dogs. Oh, We've had great. so far since March, 2020. Wow. That's wild. Um, only, only one at a time or do you, do you, are you able to foster multiples? One at a time. Okay. <laughs> okay. Been keeping it to one at a time. I gotcha. Um, but yeah, it's been great, and she's so good with all of them. We've fostered everything from four month a four month old puppy who was in abuse situation oh. that we rescued on up to a senior dog who ended up being a hospice foster for us. Oh. Um, yeah, because he just he was 12 years old, had been left in the backyard his whole life, and um, had some really complicated, uh, you know, just medical issues from lack of treatment and care for all of his life. So she's seen the whole scope of all types of different dogs and she oh, wow. loves it. <laughs> That's great. Um, so when did you uh, get to uh, Tony's Animal Rescue Foundation? I've been here since 2019. Okay. So I started soon before the pandemic. Got so it. everything in this position for me has been just a whirlwind of change because of everything that's happened in the world. Sure. One of the things you know, I said I wanted to wanted to talk to you is, is a little bit about how things have changed as a result of um, of the pandemic. You know, we've all heard lots of you know, stories of the way rescues have had to adapt and do, mm -hmm. you know, do adopter interviews and, and all that, all that stuff. How, you know, you're you. Tony's Animal Rescue Foundation has, has a huge facility in in California, and um, so how does the operation of that? I mean, uh, the website says it's a it's a almost a thirty eight thousand square foot facility there. I mean, that's that's huge. How does the operation of that change? You know, and how how does it, especially how does it change almost seemingly overnight? Yeah, that was definitely an adjustment for us. I mean, like all businesses, we've had to adapt to the pandemic, the first thing we did is we just really looked at what's our core mission. And our core mission is helping give a second chance to cats and dogs who are in municipal or public shelters who are under-resourced, underfunded. Sure. Uh, so when Tony LaRusa and his wife founded the organization back in, they were inspired to found the organization back in 1990 when a stray cat wandered onto the field. Yep. And in their effort to try to find this cat at home and a safe place to land, they realized how under-resourced public municipal shelters are. And so they started Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation, or we affectionately just call it ARF. Right. Uh, we found it, they founded ARF to help meet that need. And so in animal welfare, we've seen a lot of changes in the last 30 years since ARF was founded. Definitely. Um, huge, huge milestones have been met. You know, 
um, I don't have the exact numbers of how many animals used to be euthanized 30 years ago in hmm. public shelters, but it was, it was really, really sad. And now with the pandemic, all, I think all of us in animal welfare were bracing for the worst. We were like, oh gosh, you know, people are losing their jobs. There's so much instability. There's so much insecurity. And then almost the opposite happened. And we were kind of shocked. Like um, there was a decrease of pets entering shelters by about 20% in 2020. And so we were like, this is amazing. And then everybody seemed to want to adopt an animal. They were, a lot of people were working from home. um, And so we actually couldn't even, it it was almost this like complete shift in demand and, you know, intake, demand for adoptions and intake. And so it was very surprising. We were all surprised by it. Um, But looking back on it, I think it was understandable. People, right the human animal bond is an incredibly powerful force. And what we get from our animals, just not beyond just the loyalty and the cuddles, but, you know, our mission statement is people rescuing animals, animals rescuing people, because we know that the impact that animals have on our lives is just as significant as what we do to rescue them. Sure. So it made sense that people naturally wanted their home more. This seemed like a great opportunity. Some people are still work from home now um, or work from home permanently. And so we were during the very beginning of the pandemic um, when we weren't quite ready for the demand. Hmm. um, We had a, in March, 2020, we had a litter of eight adorable puppies go up for adoption. But at that time, we had switched to uh, processing. Most of the adoption process was switched to being a virtual or over the phone process. So we had closed our front doors, and we were only open by appointment. So anybody who was interested in applying for an animal, we had to completely switch how we handled adoptions. Since our front doors were closed and people couldn't just walk in, we'd always advertised our animals online. But when we put these eight puppies online, (laughs) we had 800 online inquiries for them. in 48 hours yeah so that was that was our real wake-up call of like wow things have definitely changed and there's uh so we kept a lot of those folks um on a puppy wait list and as we got puppies in we would notify them and say hey are you interested in any of them a lot of them found puppies through other organizations um But I don't think animal welfare was quite ready for the hmm. for the puppy mania that was going to happen. Um, sure. So yeah, COVID definitely had its positives. Um, you know, looking at the silver lining, like there were some benefits to in animal welfare. Yeah. We just saw this great turnout of people wanting to adopt, lower intake. Um, unfortunately, um, as the pandemic's worn on, we've started to see some of the uh, fears that we had at the beginning of the pandemic. So in 2021, we actually saw for the first time in a long time, a slight increase in the number of dogs and cats that were euthanized in America's shelters. So we went from about 347, um, 347,000 dogs and cats being euthanized in shelters to three, 
Okay. Um, and that does reflect an increase in intake as well. So it's understandable, but yes, COVID has definitely um, kept us all on our toes and trying to find the best way to adjust and being able to really keep our focus on the mission of saving lives. <laughs> sure. Um, have you found, you know, there was that, you mentioned that initial sort of puppy mania as, as the pandemic started and, and all that. Have you found that um, that pace for for our has that pace kept up, or have you seen it is is that decreased a bit over these last you know two and a half years? I think that as things have opened back up and people are either going back into the office or traveling again, we have definitely seen a slight decrease in Okay. interest and adoption. Um, there wasn't quite the mania that we had Right. in March and April of 2020, um, but it's still, we have a consistent, uh, you know, we do anywhere from 20 to 45 adoptions a week. Um, and so we're really, we love that people are coming in and we naturally sometimes see a decrease in the summer Right. anyway, uh, because as people travel and the kids are out for, you know, going to summer camp or they're going to travel to, you know, do summer activities. Um, sometimes it's not always the, the ideal time that people want to Definitely. welcome an animal into their home because they Sure. know they have trips coming up. Yeah. Um, let me ask this. What about, I know one of the, one of the fears um, that, that a lot of rescue organizations expressed, especially as that sort of adoption mania happened at the beginning of the pandemic is that like once people did start traveling and going back to the office more there would be you know there could potentially be a corresponding increase in returns is that something that arf has seen or are most of the the animals that you that you adopt out are they are they mostly staying in place Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, great follow-up question because that was another fear that um, sure individuals in animal welfare had. But when we look at the numbers and the data, our, our return rate actually went slightly down. Oh, that's So great. year over year. Yeah, so we have not experienced that at all. Um, we've seen that people who have welcomed an animal into their home, at least through our organization, are staying totally committed. We always have a certain number of returns for adoptions. Sure. Um, and we welcome that because we want to make sure that when you take an animal home, that it's the right fit for Right. you and your family. And sometimes that takes getting to know the animal a, a little bit better. And also in a shelter environment, you know, we try to evaluate them as best we can. But if we've only known this dog a week and they've been through so much being at, you know, potentially a stray, then going to a municipal shelter, then coming to us, they've experienced a lot of change in their life. So even though our behavior and training team evaluates each of our animals and we provide all of their health history that we're aware of and all of their um, behavior and evaluation history that we're aware of. Uh, you know, sometimes when they settle into a home, they just might realize, oh, this dog's much higher energy than we originally realized. Right. Um, and we can't keep up with their exercise needs or something like that. Um, or maybe um, there's lots of different reasons why people that, you know, good hearted people might genuinely realize that like, oh, this animal isn't the perfect fit for my family. And Sure. I think this animal would be happier with someone who can meet their needs better. Okay. So we always um, tell our adopters that like, 
you know, we have a great return policy in place so that people who realize this isn't the right match can bring them back. And we even offer like a full refund. So we've always had a certain percentage of returns, but uh, we actually saw a slight decrease in the return rate uh, year over year in 2021 versus 2020. Cool. Um, Yeah. Or 2019 even. Yeah. So do most of the animals... Uh, from ARF, do they mostly come from municipal shelters? Yes. Um, okay. That is definitely one of the things that we focus on is we, our primary objective is to help under-resourced public okay. shelters or municipal shelters. And so we actually take, we don't usually take animals in from the public at all. Right. We work with 20 to 30 different shelter partners in California alone. And okay. we also help with a lot of disaster relief. Sure. How, um, like how far around California do, do your shelter partners go? So we've taken in everything from Southern California to Texas to Florida, but generally speaking, our, our average week, we usually visit shelters that are anywhere from within like a, you know, five hour driving point from our headquarters because otherwise it just becomes a very long day of the long transport but we have worked with other shelters over the country when they've um we've done uh, air transport especially during like specific periods of disaster relief so we and then we also but we mostly focus on like shelters that are most of our partners are within about like a five-hour driving okay distance um- so and the facilities in, in Walnut Creek, what is what is the big city near there? I don't know California well enough. Yeah, so we're about an hour east of San Francisco. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I assume, I imagine you work with, with municipal shelter in San Francisco, that if that's going to be the closest sort of big municipal um, shelter for you guys. Um, I mean, how, you know, how often is someone... You know how often how often are you are you going to these municipal shelters and, and finding animals and, and pulling them out? Yeah, so last year we did 124 rescue runs, is what okay. we call them, when we go out to different shelter partners. So we did 124 last year. Generally speaking, we we do anywhere from one to three a week, and that's okay. year round, even on holiday weeks. <laughs> okay, and how do you you know? How do you decide, you know, this, we're going to take this animal into the program. We're going to take this one into the program. How does that, you know, how do you, how do you, you guys do that? Well, luckily I don't have to make those decisions. Okay. <laughs> right. But it is hard because there's a great need everywhere. So we have to balance a lot of factors with where we go. And a lot of it is just based on which shelter partners have the greatest need. Sure. So we look like, for example, this week we went up to Tehama County, which is in Northern California, because unfortunately wildfires are already starting this season. Um, It's predicted to be a very bad wildfire year. And so we're already responding to shelters up in in Northern California who are dealing with wildfires already. So we took in 28 animals from them. These were adoptable animals that they already had in their shelter. And so we're going up there to help ease their 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 load, basically. Like we go up there, we take 
any adoptable animals that they have so that they can focus their resources on helping lost or found animals, sure. helping reunite animals or individuals, families who have been impacted by the fire. Okay. Um, and you know, how many, you've got at this nearly 38,000 foot facility, um, how many animals um, are generally on site? Yeah, so we actually utilize over 300 foster volunteers. Okay. So we have a lot of our animals before they're ready for adoption. About 70% of our animals spend at least some time in a foster home. Sure. So that way they're not in a shelter environment because even the best shelter is still a shelter. Oh, sure. So we always try to give our animals as much time as we can in foster homes. And then when they're available and ready for adoption, oftentimes they return to the shelter so they can meet new adopters because we did reopen our doors. Uh, that was a little touch and go with COVID depending on cases. And we've just been super flexible, but we've now had our front doors open for regular business for um, several months now. Okay. So they, how many we have on site really depends. It's it, there's many factors. It depends on, you know, which animals are being seen by our full service veterinarian clinic that is devoted to all of our shelter guests. We have the adoptable animals, and sometimes we have new animals who have just arrived who are still being evaluated. So we understand what their behavior and medical needs are before they get ready for adoption. So. On an average day, I would say we probably have anywhere from 50 to 100 animals on our campus, but then okay. we have a lot more than that if it, in foster homes getting ready for adoption. Okay. Um, very cool. So you mentioned um, that you got your start sort of with, with a service dog organization and it, and it has, you know, translated now um, to your job, to your job at our, um, talk about, you know, sort of, sort of how, what, what ARF is doing, um, with, with service dogs and, and I know, you know, the pets and vets, um, program, uh, just tell me kind of all about it. Yeah. So Tony has, Tony LaRusse has always been very passionate about giving back to veterans. So veterans have, have always been a main focus at ARF. We've, we started actually, with providing free veterinarian exams to the pets of veterans because we okay. recognized, you know, like I mentioned earlier, the human animal bond is incredible. And we, after veterans have given us, given our country so much, we wanted to make sure that we were offering a way to give back to them and helping their pets just was a natural fit with our mission and our organization. So we, the pets and vets program, started very small helping offer free wellness exams free flea and tick medication those right. kind of things like vaccinations and we just would do it for free for veterans pets and then we started but we also had all these great animals for adoption so we were like well if a veteran has you know is looking to adopt we'll we'll waive any adoption fee for any okay. veteran every day, every day of the year. So some shelters offer discounts around Veterans Day or things sure. like that. Every day is Veterans Day at um, ARF. We provide free adoptions. We waive all adoption fees for military veterans. Okay. And then as that happened, a lot of veterans were saying, oh, well, I'm actually the 
cat or dog I adopted from ARF, I'm, you know, they're my emotional support animal now. And right. we were like, that's great. But then we had some veterans who had dogs who were emotional support animals. They had made them their emotional support animals, but they said, well, we really could use some help training our dogs. Sure. We really want them to be full-fledged service dogs so that we can have access under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the ADA. And they said, do you think ARF could help us out with some training so we could train our dogs to be fully-fledged fully trained service dogs. And we're like, that's a great idea. So the pets and vets program at ARF just kind of naturally evolved over the years to meet the needs of the veterans and what in the feedback we got from the veterans um, who had been involved with ARF. So now we have a, um, approximately 50 veterans with their dogs in training class. They go to training class about once a week and we match them with rescue dogs that we've carefully selected for multiple different qualities. So we're looking for dogs that are within a certain age range because it sure. does take about nine months to a year to train the dog to in all the service skills that they need and because they start with basic obedience and then they work right. their way through the program. So we want dogs that are young but not puppies um, because we want to know more of their personality. So we're usually looking for dogs anywhere from about nine months old to about a year and a half or um, maybe even up to two years. And then we're looking for dogs who are super food motivated, who are good with other animals. And so that's where our foster volunteers come in because they usually help us evaluate the dogs in a home environment for several weeks before they get matched with a veteran. And then the veterans come with their rescue dogs um, that they've adopted from us every week for training classes until they've gone through all the different courses and have put different um, skills. So they learn everything from like nightmare interruption. They can also um, uh, learn different, like whatever the veterans maybe um, trigger is for like, Mm -hmm. if they're having like panic or anxiety coming on set, the dogs will learn whatever that signal is. So usually a veteran will, will, will oftentimes like they'll either shake their knee or their hand will start to shake or they can feel their they, they start breathing faster and right. so the great thing about having the veterans train their own dogs is not only are the veterans giving back to these incredible dogs um but then the dogs can give back to them by helping interrupt those behaviors um, sure. and the dogs learn basically we teach the help the veterans train their dogs to whatever needs they have so okay. Yeah, so it's it's a really incredible program. There's so many proven benefits for psychiatric service dogs for veterans with PTSD, and we hear all the time of you know it just goes back to our mission of people rescuing animals, animals rescuing people. It's an Definitely. incredible program. That's great. Um, mentioned you know talked about alerting for panic attacks or things like that. Um, are most of the dogs uh, the service dogs that, that go through our, are they mostly psychiatric service dogs or are there any, are there any, you know, medical ones that go through or mobility assistance, anything like that? Right now our program just focuses on psychiatric service dogs. So all of our veterans either have PTSD, traumatic brain injuries, um, or severe anxiety or depression. Okay. 
Um, do you, I mean, do you, do you work with any, you know, any of the service dog organizations? You know, if you, if you have a veteran who comes to you and says, you know, I'm looking to, I'm looking to adopt a dog. I have, you know, mobility issues, or I have, you know, this medical, this medical issue. And I was hoping to get, you know, a, a seizure alert dog or something, something like that. Are you able to sort of still help them, you know, find one, find the right dog for them and two, sort of help them get the, you know, get the training that they, that they need? Yeah. So even though our trainers specialize in psychiatric service dogs, we get inquiries from veterans all over the country for all sorts of different needs. So we always try to provide whatever resources we can to them. And individuals are always welcome to adopt a dog from ARF. We can even help them place, um, find the right match for them, depending on what their needs are. But we just don't provide the free training like That's we fair. do for psychiatric service dogs. Our specialty okay. is psychiatric. As, as my boys, as my boys start start making <laughs> making an appearance, um, as I figured, as I figured they might at some point. Um, yes, I understand, boys. Tell me about how life is hard. Um, so, do most of the the ARF adopters are they mostly in California? I mean, I know you said you have veterans from all over the country, but what about what about just the regular everyday adopters? Are they mostly in the California somewhere in California? Yeah. So, actually, all of our veterans who participate in the program are also local because they do come to training classes once a week um, at our our headquarters in Walnut Creek, California. But we do have people reach out to us all the time from different areas of the country. So what we do is we just refer them. There's so many great organizations in their area. So we'll try to refer them to an organization that's near them. We do require that any adopters come visit us in person. They have to come pick up their animal. We won't ship animals or anything like that. So for the most part, most of our adopters are within like a reasonable driving distance, usually within an hour or two. But we have had people come from Southern California to get a certain dog or things like that. So it's not to say we haven't had exceptions, but right. most of the time they're within a reasonable driving distance. Okay. So so once once you know, once a dog is is adopted from our you mentioned, you know, there's there's a lot of training support and stuff. I mean, how 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 deep does that go? I mean, how how much you know support after after adoption is there for training and behavior, you know, especially when things do come up that, you know, maybe the adopter wasn't, you know, wasn't ready for. Yeah. So when we're talking about just general adoptions, we do have a training and behavior hotline so they can call and one of our professional trainers will try to work through with whatever behavior, you know, help that they need for their adopted dog. Um, So we definitely have that that resource for our adopters. But a lot of times it's also just referring them to like what understanding dog behavior. So some of our adopters have maybe never had a dog before. um, So we can provide them with tools that they can use to help like keep their dog engaged. So whether it's the dogs being destructive when they leave the dog home alone, we can give them tips on like crate training and how to, you know, even like we have articles with different recipes for stuffing Kongs (laughs) uh, so that they can learn different ways to keep their dog, you know, focused and entertained so that they don't get themselves in trouble. So a lot of times it's just understanding dog behavior. Um, But we do love to help our adopters with any resources that they need. Okay. Um, And, you know, while they're in, 
while they're in foster and, and, you know, then maybe later when they're, when they're actually, um, at the facility, what sort of, you know, kind of training routines and enrichment and stuff do, you know, do they get kind of on a day-to-day basis? It really depends on the dog and their particular needs. So oftentimes we use, we actually use Kongs to feed our dogs at the shelter. So they're not just given a bowl of food, they're actually made to work for it. So that is really a great enrichment activity, but we have lots of different enrichment activities and it depends on the dog and how driven they are too. Because um, as I'm sure you know, as a dog trainer, some dogs are more motivated to solve puzzles than others. So we have to, we have to accommodate every dog's need and also where they're at at the time. So some dogs come to us at first, maybe overwhelmed, they've been through a lot of change. So sometimes they just need time to decompress. Um, and, And then other times we have dogs that really need a job and really need to focus. So we have everything from agility yards to professional trainers that work with the dogs every day, but it's really gravitated towards the individual dog's needs. But we love, love, love feeding all of our dogs and Kongs. Um, That's one of my favorite enrichment activities that we do. We also make sure that they get out for three walks a day when they're staying at the facility. And of course, um, we also provide like everything from snuffle mats to long lasting chews to our, for our foster parents so they can help keep their dogs engaged and entertained at home as well in a home environment. Okay. Um, are there dogs with, with behavior quirks that ARF won't take? It really depends. Oftentimes we don't know what their behavior quirks are until they've been with us. So for example, we have this really, really adorable French bulldog mix right now. His name's Biscuit and he is absolutely precious, but he also likes to guard his toys. (laughs) So he just doesn't want anyone messing with his toys. So we do a lot of work with him with two toy fetch and work on that. And then we just try to prep adopters like, you know, hey, this is like a this is just something you have to understand that if if you're interested in adopting this dog here, we send home any adopter with any guidelines and instructions on what we've been working on them with as well as like training, like info sheets that like say, well, this dog is a shy dog or this dog, you know, needs to work on like exchanging their toys for something else, like another toy or a treat to help build that positive association with giving up their, their prized possession. So any of those like behavioral challenges that we might see in some service dogs or excuse me, service dogs, listen to me, any (laughs) of our adoptable dogs, um, we definitely prep the, the adopters so that they know what to expect and also decide and evaluate if they're ready to take on a dog who might need some extra help. Got it. Um, what is sort of the average length of time from time a dog comes into ARF until adoption? So we usually have each animal for at least a week. Um, generally speaking, that's about how long it takes us to make sure that, you know, our medical team takes a look at them, our behavior team 
gets to take a look at them and evaluate them based on where they're at in that moment, of course. Um, and then oftentimes they go to foster for most of the majority of our animals spend at least some time in foster before they go up for adoption. Okay. Oftentimes we take in a lot of animals with medical cases. So like I mentioned earlier, we're helping support our partner shelters who are under-resourced and oftentimes right. municipal shelters do not have a full service um don't have a full veterinarian team like we do. We have a dental suite at our facility. So we take in a lot of senior dogs who okay. need dentals. <laughs> so that is a big portion of the animals we take in are dogs or cats with medical needs. And so when we're, so sometimes it just really depends. So sometimes we have animals that are recovering from heartworm, for example. Right. So they're with us for a minimum of a couple of months usually, but other dogs may come in and they're only with us for a week. Then okay. we also have dogs who are maybe harder to find the right fit for for them, for an adopter. And we have one girl right now with us named Mel, who is an adorable blue and white pit bull terrier mix. She's precious. She's the Hmm. cuddliest, sweetest, like spunkiest little Hmm. senior dog you've ever met. But she came to us with um, a spinal disc issue. And so we did lots of hydrotherapy. Um, We did acupuncture. She Hmm. made great improvements, but she's an older dog. She's eight years old now. And so She's been with us for a year looking for her yeah. right, the right fit for her. And she also prefers to be, you know, she's working on her dog-to-dog skills. Our Got trainers it. have been working with her, but she tends to not be the most polite with intros with other dogs. So that's okay. made it harder for her to find a home. So, you know, it's a lot of medical needs that she has, but we have offered... Um, free prescription refills through our veterinary clinic for the rest of her life and wellness care through our veterinary clinic for the rest of her life. So anybody who adopts her won't have to worry about any wellness care for her. It would just be any like, you know, typical things that happen as dogs get older. So, but it's, it's definitely harder to find a home for a dog who prefers to be the only princess in her home and also has you know, existing medical conditions. So it's just, there's a slimmer audience for, for interested in adopting a dog like that. So she's been with us for a year. Um, But we know the right home is out there for her. It's just taking her a little bit longer to find it. Okay. Um, And how do you, you know, you know, you can do all the enrichment you want. You can, you know, she can, can, you know, spend all the time, time in the world. How do you kind of make sure, especially with cases like, like that, that she doesn't wind up getting, you know, sort of too, I guess the best term would be, be almost institutionalized, um, you know, to make sure is she, and is she in foster now? She was in foster for a good chunk of the time that she's been with us. She's at campus right now. Okay. Um, cause they've had summer plans Got it. and things like that, her foster family, but also, she gets more attention if she's at from adopters if she's on campus. Sure. So we do have a volunteer who actually sits out with her on her dog bed on our adoption floor during oh, adoption it. days. Yeah, so he comes in a couple times a week and sits with her so that potential adopters can actually come meet her instead of viewing her from from behind the like 
you know, glass right. uh, window of her condos, sure. the glass windows. So that's been a great way for people to meet her and realize like, oh, she might not be the perfect dog. You know, people wouldn't describe her as the perfect dog, hmm. but she could be perfect for the right person. Sure. And she's just such a sweetheart. So sometimes understanding that, yeah, she's got some medical needs, um, but we're ready to prepared to help take care of those. And we just want people to see her shining personality. Okay. Um, you know, dogs with, I know that dogs with, with medical issues and, and older dogs are some of the harder dogs to mm. adopt out. Um, so, you know, let's say family comes in, um, you know, they're looking for a dog. They don't really know, you know, they don't necessarily know sort of what they're looking for, but, but they're interested what do you say in that case? You know, how might you steer them towards sort of an older girl like Mel or, you know, or a dog with, with some medical issues? You know, if, you know, if the folks at ARF think that these people might be a good, a good fit for them. Yeah. So we always try to make adoptions, our adoptions process is a conversation. Okay. So it's a lot of times understanding what they're looking for. Do they have you know, ideas about what they want in their next companion or their next, you know, adopt, you know, animal that they're looking to adopt. A lot of times people view animals online. So they already right. come into the shelter with an idea of which animal they're interested in. But a lot of times that's based on looks or sure. certain ages. You know, a lot of people really want a puppy. So we're always willing to talk to people about what can what the needs of the individual animal are so that they feel like they're making an informed choice of, can I meet those needs for that animal? If we, we always love it when people come in, when families come in who are like, here's what I'm looking for, but that's based on like personality sure. or, or their needs. So, you know, maybe they work full time and they know they need a dog who's going to be calmer and okay with being left alone during the day. We love it when people come in and and tell us what their what what their needs are, and then we can help match them with an animal that's going to be a good fit for their family. So, the great thing about senior dogs, and that we always say, is that they tend to be a lot calmer. Yeah. They don't have as great of exercise needs. They're not as likely to be destructive hmm. like puppies are. So there are so many benefits to adopting an older dog. I think the feedback that we get from potential adopters is that they just wish they had more time with them. Sure. That's the hardest part about adopting an older dog. Yeah. Usually their personalities are amazing, but people just wish that, you know, they had longer with them. We sure. dogs just don't live long enough for us. We it's true. They could live a lot longer. It's true. Um, so last thing I wanted to, wanted to ask you about, um, what is, you know, what's in the future for ARF where, you know, you've got, you've got this, this, you know, this great facility you've got, you've got, you know, this, this pets and vets program, like what is, what's next? Where do you go from here? Yeah. So we're really excited. As I mentioned before, we get inquiries from veterans who are interested in our pets and vets program from all over the country. And unfortunately right now we only have trainers at our headquarters. So we aren't able to always serve folks who are out of the area. So right. one of the biggest things that we're looking forward to is actually being able to expand our pets and 
that's programmed nationally to other organizations across the country so that oh, we cool. can help serve more veterans and ultimately help save more dogs. So we just finished our building during the pandemic. We just finished building um, our Pets and Vets headquarters, which is located on our existing campus. But that space is going to be dedicated to helping onboard partners from across the country. So we're looking to partner with like other veteran organizations or other animal shelters who have robust training programs sure. who might be able to help match veterans in their area with rescue dogs who have been evaluated. So we'll kind of train the trainers, so to speak. Cool. And we're really looking forward to launching that program and helping more veterans in need. Yeah. Do you have, do you have sort of a timeline for when you think that program is going to launch or is it, is it still kind of up in the air? Well, with the COVID, everything's been a little bit up in the air, but we are hoping to start onboarding and start seeking um, applications for partnership, hopefully within the next fiscal year. That's great. Um, I think that's as good a place as any to to leave it. Um, before we go, just tell folks where can they find info about our um, online, you know, how can people find out more? Yeah, so we'd love for folks to come check us out. We're at arflife.org. Uh, that's the best way to get more information about our program, or you can just Google Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation. Cool. Well, Aaron Thompson, thank you so much for being on Hound Opinions. Um, it's been been really cool learning about about ARF and um, keep up keep up the fantastic work. Thank you so much, Phil. I really appreciate all your time today. All right. Thanks. Thanks so much for checking out Hound Opinions. I'm Bill Mayeroff, and I'm the owner and chief canine officer of Big Wags Chicago Dog Training and Dog Walking. If you like what you hear, I'd be really grateful if you could give Hound Opinions a good rating on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can find Big Wags Chicago online at bigwagschicago.com. And I'm at Big Wags Chicago, all one word, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. If you have a dog question you'd like me to answer on a future episode, or if you just want to say hi, email podcast at bigwagschicago.com. Thanks.